4: Talk to me, Goose. Can you hear me? Yes, we're on. We're in. I don't want to bore the people with two to three minute long commercials every week. Can we give them the shortest Athletic Greens commercial ever while still honoring our obligation to the sponsor?
2: Athleticgreens.com slash surf. Keeps you in the game, David Lee Scales.
4: Support us. Support your health. Support them. Athleticgreens.com slash surf. Delicious. All right, Chaz, we are back. It's an evening show, which is a rarity. Do you think that that means we're gonna be more uh, wired or more lethargic?
2: I think we're gonna be, I'm gonna be more lethargic. I just had to hear myself speak for the last two days, all day, It's all I did, listen to my own dang voice.
4: In the courtroom giving a deposition?
2: <laughs> In the stinking little tiny studio box reading a book. What book were you reading and why? I'm reading my newest, Blessed Are the Bank Robbers, coming out March 15th for audio.
4: Amazing. So Ooh. what is the what is the book? Is it surf related? What's the premise?
2: It's not. This is, but uh, they've got me and I cannot get back out. Uh, surfing finds its way in, but not much. This book is about my cousin Danny, famous bank robber who knocked off I think he's approaching the record, the U.S. record, world record for robbed banks. The number of
4: banks or the amount of money accumulated?
2: What's the Uh, number number of banks?
4: That's a bummer if you've robbed the most banks, but you didn't amass the most money. It's a real miscalculation on his part.
2: I mean, the problem is, here's the problem. You want to know some bank robbing stuff, David Lee Scales?
4: I want to know everything, and I would like to devise a plan.
2: Uh, So, okay. The book ends with my cousin Danny's PowerPoint PowerPoint presentation on how to rob a bank. And so you you will learn everything you need to know on how to rob a bank. But the problem is here, right? Uh, Tellers are who you hit. That's not where the money is. The money's in the vault, but getting to the vault is like a crazy thing. Okay,
4: so he doesn't have the blueprint for how to get to the vault.
2: Well, and those who have done it, do you remember the... uh, North Hollywood shootout bank robbery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Those guys went for the vault. I think even they didn't even get money, and both of them died. It's hard to go for right. That.
4: So, how much money can you get off tellers?
2: Uh, I think of the from what I've learned from my dear cousin Danny, the average amount is like between a couple grand and like you know fifteen to twenty grand.
4: Yeah. So you got to make it up in volume in numbers.
2: Exactly. Volume and numbers. There is a day vault up front, which he got once, which was uh, north of $50,000. Wow. Yeah.
4: Is, uh, is he in jail?
2: Yeah, Cousin Danny's in jail. Cousin Danny is cooling his heels in Oregon, waiting to get out and start again. I shouldn't say that. Parole board officer. <laughs> not hear that.
4: So did uh, did you go and interview him in jail?
2: No. Uh, I, I mean, I did. Yeah. His first stint in jail, I did. Uh, COVID protocols have disallowed me to go visit him in Oregon. But as soon as those are dropped, I'm up there.
4: What does the book tell? Does the book tell the story of his youth? Of What is it?
2: What is it? Covered? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose this is where surfing dovetails in is cousin Danny was the one who basically introduced me to the surfing life. They he and my cousin Mikey lived in Carlsbad. I was an Oregon kid, so yeah. My first surfboard was cousin Danny's, hand me down, etc., etc.
4: How did he get into bank robbing?
2: I mean, that's the great. Like, have you been into a bank and thought I could take this?
4: I don't think that's my thought when I go in, but when I watch or when I see, um, you know, Dateline or these news shows and how dumb those bank robbers are, and they get away with it for years on end. And then they explain that the bank is actually uh, trained, the employees of the bank are trained to just comply. And ultimately we'll go after the criminal after the fact, the authorities will, but don't risk your life. So then my brain starts working these little loopholes where I'm like, okay, they're going to comply. Can I now get away? Can you show up without anybody IDing you? Can you stay off cameras? And then upon your exit, can you avert those things as well? Because then it's kind of harmless, victimless. It's all insured. You know, that's where my brain goes.
2: That's what Danny, cousin Danny thought right there. Exactly. That was in financial straits, saw a news report of a bank robber, did research, uh, realized 65% unsolved rate, right? Like You hit one; chances are you're getting out, like no problem. But unfortunately, cousin Danny hit another 19, then got arrested, and then, yeah, started doing it doing it again once he got out of prison. Yeah,
4: yeah, that's. I think that's a common story with gambling, with lots of with addiction in general. Is like. Yeah, the fir- you can get away. The first couple, you can get away with. The yep. trick is not Just getting stop.
2: hooked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Carl Gugasian, have you read his story, the Friday night robber? Mm. Uh, he did it for, he was like, I can't remember where, where he went to school, but uh, he did it for some 30-odd years before getting caught.
4: Was it every, I mean, it had to be taking breaks in between. He couldn't be going <clears throat>
2: monthly. For yeah, years. no, I think he did. I mean, that's the thing. So, Carl Gagin, you know, he's a famous bank robber. Uh, it took him a long time even to get to his first. Cousin Danny had 19 in the time it took Gagin to hit his first. Incredible. Yep. Takes all types. All right. Well, what's the book called? Uh, Blessed are the bank robbers. It's a good title. Yeah, good title.
4: How um, How's the reading going?
2: It's brutal. It is so cruel to read your own book. I mean, so I've read, I read Welcome to Paradise uh, for audio way after the fact. So that was cruel and reading my eight years ago self. Uh, This one's cruel because it's not out yet. And then catching mistakes uh, in the middle of reading, but it's too late to correct them. And so realizing, oh my goodness, in real time is very, very harsh. I texted beloved Derek Riley who has written two great books uh, about the mistakes I caught. And he laughed back and said that he, uh, in his first book, misnamed a prominent Australian politician, uh, like during a critical period. So I think that's the only, and the audio editor guy uh, who's records me says that every author reading he does, all the authors are like finding mistakes and just spitting mad.
0: Yeah,
4: I would for Derek's in um, error, I would blame the editor
2: on that one. I mean, both of mine were editor errors, too. Like, I mean, I wrote it, but the editor should have caught both of them.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, well, did you know we're on YouTube, by the way?
2: Oh, this one?
4: Well, all of our I we publish all of our podcasts to YouTube. <laughs> were you aware of
2: that? People should go to YouTube and watch them
4: well the reason why I mention it is um, a comment that we had today said it's from we bill I'm sorry will be will be he said quote more people would subscribe if you talked to about surfing more <laughs>
2: <laughs> is that true though I feel no. I feel more would subscribe if we'd never talk about surfing at all
4: agreed a hundred percent agree Um yep. Every once in a while, somebody makes a comment like that, and I will put it on Instagram and take a poll just to see what people say. 99% of people are like, just keep doing what you're doing. We prefer (laughs) the non-surf talk. So I I think it's funny whenever I do see that comment, you know, and as if we care how many YouTube subscribers we have. It's an afterthought kind of. YouTube. Um, But we do care about subscribers. 20, no less than 20 people uh, heeded our call. Is that what it is? Last week when we said that we need subscribers for five bucks a month, they started coming in immediately after we published that episode, a few a day. Like I said, I didn't count, but probably about 20 people. So thank you all to those of you who went to surfsplendorpodcast.com, click the subscribe tab and uh, contributed because you are the backbone of the business.
2: It literally is the difference between uh doing it for free and doing it
4: exactly (laughs) (laughs) um look there are hard costs do you want these shows to be archived for posterity you should that all comes with an expense websites come with an expense but then in addition to that Chaz and i would like to be compensated as well so those 20 people will amount to 100 bucks a month which will divide amongst the network. So we'll each get a little, you know, maybe coffee money for the month with that. So if there's 20 more people this next week and 20 more the next, then we'll really start to uh, make an effort.
2: It is so entirely appreciated too. Like the, really I mean, is. thinking about it, uh, I thought about it last week and thinking more about it now, like if we could cut out any kind of, besides athleticgreens.com slash uh yeah the people running the thing is what makes it fun well which tell us what
4: you want tell us what you want we'll dance if you say we want content that is this or that if you say we want all surf content quit talking about your personal lives we'll give it to you
2: which i mean and this model funny i'm wearing right now for the youtube viewers A Green Bay Packers hat. Can you see my Green Bay Packers hat, David Lee Scales? Yeah, it looks black, though. It is. It's black because I couldn't buy the green or the yellow. But uh, do you know anything about the Green Bay Packers, David Lee Scales? Very little. Good football team, right?
4: Yeah, I I mean, I grew up watching them. I grew up playing. But I don't know anything about the the current iteration of the team.
2: Here's the thing. The Green Bay Packers are the only publicly held sports franchise in the entire world. You told Um, me that at one point. Yep. Recently, they offered a stock buy. I think they're third in history. Uh, So I bought a share of the Packers just as proof of concept that this is what this should be. People should own the thing. So now I'm an owner of the Green Bay Packers uh, because they are publicly held. And that should be all surf media and everything. It should only be people working for people.
4: It is the way of the modern world. That's for sure.
2: I mean, it's the way it should be.
4: I um, would so yeah. dance to
2: anyone. I just don't want to dance for stinking corporate sponsors, except for athleticgreens.com/surf.
4: <laughs> but we're not even dancing for them either. That's kind of the point, you know. Is like, uh, if they did try to dictate editorial, then we would not have them as a sponsor.
2: Sure, but also buying your $5 subscription here is akin to buying a share in the Green Bay Packers, I think. Like, where you are part of something then. Where being part of something actually matters.
4: I agree completely. Um, So thank you to those who signed up last week. And yeah, if you're on the fence, jump off. Uh, So huge news this week. One of surfing's great surfboard shapers, Bob Saget, has left us. Can I play the clip?
2: Yes, please.
4: Okay. So, for any listeners who want to view this clip, come to YouTube, and watch the YouTube version.
2: Um, this year, I, I actually did
4: what they said. This is the voice of Sterling Spencer, by the way.
1: Yeah, you should never
4: do, but I, I, uh, I got a new shaper. I, I asked my mom if she would, you know, look on Craigslist, and she found a really nice guy. His hands are really big, and he knows what to do with surfboards and. Um, he's great, but he's just really sensitive. Just. Can you hear the audio, Chaz?
1: Yes. Okay, good.
0: Hey, hey. hey.
1: Bob. Sterling. How are you? My boy. How are you? How you doing, man? Good to see you. Good to see you, you look good. Thank you. You still number one? Yeah, for sure. That's my boy. How's your mama?
4: You know my mom? Well,
1: I I knew her. How are the boards working?
4: Boards. The boards are good, Um, but... But what? I'm having a hard time with my inverted tricks.
1: Sterling, what the hell is inverted tricks? You're coming in here basically right now telling me that I don't know how to shape? That's all I do now, I shape. You're not even a pro surfer. What tour are you even on? I'm on the surfing tour. The, the surfing tour?
4: I'm, I'm, I'm pro surfing. Pro surfering. If anything, you're a
1: B grade pro surfer that wears glasses to be different and makes silly little videos. I would never do something like that. John John doesn't even follow you on Instagram, man. When's the last time you surfed Pipeline? I surfed it two years ago. Oh, shit. Damn it. You see this? You see what happened to my life? I shaped that tri-fin that won Tom Curran, the Stubbies Pro, win in 83. We used to smoke weed together. What am I doing now? Shaping boards in a small room, can't even breathe? Bob,
4: they're good. They're good. Just like you on Full House.
1: Really? Yes.
4: The waves were funky when I wrote it. Maybe I need to put the four-fin quad setup in.
1: What? You you dummy. You big dummy. I, I shaped those with a heavy concave four quad setup. You fool.
4: That's why I couldn't get inverted.
1: Yeah. It's hard to get inverted. I feel bad now. Sorry, I said that stuff about your mama. I
4: didn't she's... know you
1: knew her. Well, I don't know if I'd call it knowing her, but she's a good woman. And I'm sorry about that B grade surfer thing. I think you're awesome, Spence. Spence, is it? No, oh, Sterling. Thanks, Bob. You're welcome, son. And I call you son just because I know your mama. Tell her I said, hi, I'll tell her myself. I'm Skyping tonight.
4: You're my dad.
1: I don't think the way we did it, I could have actually made you.
4: Bob Saget, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs)
2: Like anyone who hasn't seen gold, I don't know how gold is not talked about a lot more to be honest.
4: So much of Sterling's work is somehow underrated.
2: I mean, it's genius. Sterling was, is absolute genius. Uh, And that movie was so funny. And that scene, it brings a tear to my eye. And brings a tear to my eye that stinking Bob Saget went out like Andy Irons.
4: Crazy. Well, no, I mean, I think Bob's was a heart attack, right?
2: No, it's straight up (laughs) Andy Irons. It is for sure. The description, everything coming out. I mean, I don't know what legal cover we need here. But walking in the court or the hotel employee walking in, finding him in bed, laying back, sheets pulled up, et cetera, et cetera. He uh, was doing comedy night. What can I say here, David Lee?
4: I don't know. You're what our, you're there's, you're what liability lady. is there? There's no liability, is there?
2: Okay. So Bob was out having a good night doing comedy, having fun, cocaine, got home late, took whatever sleeping aids he needed to go down. Boom. Done. So
4: is a mixture, is a mixture of cocaine and sleeping pills going to kill you?
2: Yes, that's what it does. So cocaine or stimulants like Jack, your heart. Uh, and then you calm it down with a sleeping aid from what I know, which Mm. is not a lot. But then basically uh, it's over at that point.
4: Hmm. You would think somebody like Saget, who's been, I mean, he was partying hard through the eighties and everything. Like you'd think he would know how to avoid something like that.
2: Yeah. You'd think Andy Irons would too. I
4: don't know. Now that's where you might find liability.
3: <laughs> well,
2: I mean, just the, the, I think both were accidental deaths. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And premature. Like, I think Andy's got rung up as a heart attack too, right? I
4: mean, they said t- dengue fever, I think, was the first thing they said. And then they initially, said...
2: But I think the actual coroner's report was heart attack oh, uh, with traces of... Yeah, with or whatever, oh, okay. heart failure with traces of cocaine, metabolites, and Xanax or whatever it was in his blood. Got it. Yeah. Well,
4: it's a bummer. Bob, I think, was 65. It's still too soon. Um it's a good reminder. Just, I mean, he was not on anybody's, he was not a pick on anybody's death pool this no. year. You know what I mean? Like completely kind of out of left field. And yeah, like you said, starting a tour kicked off night. Number one, had a good time. was totally, you know, presumably healthy. Um, and then the next day, nobody hears from him and that's the end. It's a reminder of how quick life can change.
2: It all changes, but also, don't go do drugs and then do sleeping drugs, kids.
4: <laughs> um, do you have any Bob Saget stories? Do you ever see him?
2: No. I mean, did you?
4: I never saw him do comedy. I remember like, obviously I grew up watching him on Full House. And um, then I remember having an awareness when I was a teenager that he was a rare, a real raunchy comic. Like I saw maybe on the internet when the internet was first that's how old I am. The internet was uh, YouTube. Netscape. I think it was founded in like 2005. Yeah, and so I was just kind of I'd see a clip of him there or something and just see how raunchy he was, and I had a hard time reconciling that with Danny Tanner. Um, but then I remember him on Chris Rock or on the Chappelle Show. He did like a cameo on the Chappelle Show, saying that he S D for cocaine. <laughs> you
3: know, <laughs> like he's
4: in the audience. Oh, what, did you ever see this skit? No. It's incredible. It's Dave, they're at um, a dr- alcoholic anonymous or drug, drug addict anonymous meeting. And Dave Chappelle's at the front of the room uh, saying, hey, I'm a drug addict. You know, I'm really addicted to marijuana. And he's like having a real like heartfelt confession to the group. And then Dave or um, Bob Saget stands up and he's like, who is this poser? Nobody's addicted to marijuana. I mean, cocaine's a drug. I've S D for cocaine before. Have you ever asked a d for marijuana? And he's like, no, then everybody's shaming Dave Chappelle because he's not a hard enough drug addict. you know. And now that I think about that skit, awfully, awfully prophetic, actually.
2: I mean, yeah, like, and don't want to say nothing. Who knows what it was, but I think rarely do Relatively healthy people die in bed alone, especially—or not alone—but die in bed, especially after he wasn't suicidal from his Instagram posts and all that, right? Like, ain't no, no I don't think, he I think He was
4: recently married, recently married too.
2: Yeah, a couple years has a had yeah. a like great wife, good kids, yeah. the whole nine. Like, didn't seem like he wanted to cut out.
4: No, but people do have maker heart attacks, you know, around that age, even younger than that, that can. Otherwise healthy people, I could take yeah. them out too.
2: Maybe.
4: Um, I did see him at a tasting, a wine tasting one time. Um, Candace Cameron, who is also on that show, married a NHL player. And he invested in and started a winery in Napa Valley called uh, Beret Family Vineyards. Is it good? And so they, yeah, it's excellent. Like really high end Napa Cabernet Sauvignon Blanc. I think they do a Chardonnay. Um, and then they did a, they hosted an event at Campanile, which was a restaurant in LA. Do you, do you remember that restaurant? No. So they founded La Brea Bakery. So the woman, Nancy Silverton, I think is her name. She was a founder in the restaurant. And then was baking bread for the restaurant. So then they started. They opened a little bakery next door, which became La Brea Bakery, which they sold for millions of dollars. But Campanile was the Italian restaurant, and it was in Charlie Chaplin's old house. Believe oh, it or not. it's this incredible building. Anyways, they hosted the kickoff inaugural release for that wine at that restaurant venue, and they and I got an invite to go because I was working in the wine business but I didn't know Candace Cameron was involved. I just knew Bure family vineyards and I show up and it took me a minute to identify her, but she was smoking hot. So I'm like, gosh, the owner of this winery's wife is smoking. And then Bob Saget walked in and I, he was really tall. That's the thing I noticed about him. And then he's talking to her and I'm like, Bob, that's Bob Saget. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Candace Cameron. So.
2: Did you have a crush on young Candace on Full House when you were a young man? For sure sure, yeah. totally.
4: She was smoke. I mean, she was cute then. She's hot as an adult.
2: Yeah. Bob Saget, though. Oh. Rest in peace.
4: One of the great surfboard shapers of our time. Bob Saget, but also, rest in
2: peace. Anybody out there who has not seen Sterling Spencer's Gold should go find and download. It is a very, very, not only funny, but good surf film.
4: I'll post it with today in today's uh, show notes. It's 37 minutes long. Not only funny. But the surfing is fantastic. Sterling, Sterling, like that's a thing people overlook. Sterling absolutely rips. Yep, absolutely rips. And by the way, I feel like he's been getting back into comedy on Instagram lately. He's been doing his same old shtick where he takes footage, ad libs, yeah, ad libs over it, and it's hilarious.
2: Yeah, no, Sterling is a classic. Wait, are you drinking a Momenti?
4: Yeah, I am.
2: Yeah, how good is Momenti? Yeah. I love
4: it. It's so good. Yep. Um, I told you dry January.
2: Momenti is the perfect accompaniment to dry January.
4: It really is. It's kind of hard to find though. Oh, really? We ha- yeah. We had it at a backyard party months ago and I searched everywhere. Finally found it at pavilions.
2: Oh, it's for our listeners. Um, it's a Pellegrino product and yep. it is lightly flavored bubbling water
4: ever so lightly flavored it's this one's uh lemon and raspberry not as good as the peach and clementine
2: yeah but all are good
4: yeah um so yeah shout out. follow sterling's instagram he needs to regain like ragland surf report has run away with that genre and but we have we have space for more than one so sterling welcome back
2: thank you sterling
4: Remember um, final show of the year for 2021, I was saying that one of my predictions for 2022 is that people are going to die in surfing. Yeah. Um, the waves are big. There's wave pools you could hit your, your head on. There's foils in the lineup. There's more people in the lineup than ever before. Well, we're here 13 days into the month and there were two near misses this last week.
2: Will Weber, did you read that whole story about Will Weber's near drowning?
4: I did. I'll read it to the listeners or parts of Will Weber's recounting of it. Um, Will Weber is a surfboard shaper. The other surfboard shaper that plays into this story is named Luke Short from LSD Surfboards. So the so the way that this factors into the prediction is these guys are qualified uh, surfers. They're qualified to be in the ocean. But what happened is non-qualified people are are out playing in the ocean, and these guys yeah. take it upon themselves to go save the valves, and then they find themselves in peril.
2: They do. Except Will's story is even, I think, more uh, instructive because he saved the valve, got got to the rocks, and then was like, "I'm going to show him how it's done," and then w- went and got in big trouble himself. Which right. To me, the lesson there is, yeah, you can think that you have all I've been in the ocean my whole life. I got this. Yeah. And the ocean may have another idea.
4: Totally. So picking up there, he says, I had been fasting and I'd lost a bit of weight and was starting to get cold quickly. I was getting pounded by these relentless sets. I'd come up and there was only two seconds before another wave and I was in a hell of a rip. And then I started worrying about sharks because it was so murky and yucky. I was going out to sea and I thought, I cannot beat this. I started to get weaker and weaker and I realized I needed help. I figured as soon as someone saw me waving, I could lie on my back and go out to sea and then just wait for the Coast Guard. That's if they could get uh, if they could get me out. Trouble was, it was too choppy to lie on my back and I started to get heavy. Later, I looked down at my board shorts and I saw that my pocket was open. So that was creating weight and also resistance for my efforts. Then I looked over and I saw Luke short 200 meters away, paddling my way, but he didn't look like he was getting anywhere. He knew he only had one shot to get me because of the strength of the current. If he got stuck or if he duck dive and lost his board, which he had grabbed without a leash, then we would both be in peril. Right then, the biggest sets of the afternoon came in. I got two six-footers on the head and was getting close to the rocks. It was bloody close. I don't think I could have made one more set. My last two breaths were like gulps into my cheeks, not even into my lungs. Finally, Luke got me, and I grabbed him around the neck like a vice. When the wave picked us up, I started strangling him. Then the wave overtakes us, and I'm drowned and I'm drowning and Luke feels me uh, starting to faint. And then he does this reverse jujitsu, double leg lock around me. We wash up on the beach with this massive surge. I felt people grabbing me, I heard voices. My head was so hot, I couldn't use my arms or legs. I was spewing, so they put me in the coma position. After a while, the police turned up and they lifted me like a dead body to carry me to the ambulance. The ambulance came, gave me a shot full of stuff put me on 100% oxygen. I spent four hours in the hospital, lungs x-rayed, had to wait for the lactic acid to come down. And then I finally was released at nine o'clock in board shorts, into the streets of McLean, into the freezing cold.
2: I mean, honestly harrowing. Like I read that this morning and was, yeah, like it's scary.
4: It really, it was a compelling read and it made me, reconsider my hubris in the ocean.
2: Sure, I mean, I feel the same. Like I feel, I've been in the ocean my entire life. Yeah, I can get, you know, sometimes it's a bit heavy, but I can always find my way out. Where a Will Weber or Luke Short have definitely more experience than me and it can happen to anyone.
4: So the difference here is that he wasn't on a surfboard. I feel like on a surfboard, you know, um, I wouldn't put myself in situations, I guess that like, I wouldn't paddle out at YMA or something like that, but anywhere, even when it's six to eight feet or whatever, I can kind of navigate all that with a board without a board. It's a totally different thing.
2: I mean, you are in the mercy.
4: Yeah. Um, have you ever, the way that he's retelling that story, have you ever felt that close to death in the ocean?
2: Yeah, but I was way younger, and so I don't think I felt it in my mind. It was I was in Coos Bay, Oregon, which is, I mean, I served dumb stuff out there. Looking back, uh, you know, would just paddle out into anything, just feeling, I suppose, invincible. And got, you know, there's bad rips out there, and got caught in a bad one. Uh, and grabbed a rock, the like the last rock, before getting no sucked all the way out to sea. And the rip was strong enough that it ripped the leash plug out of my board. And my board was long gone, like long gone. And I hauled myself up on the rocks and then like kind of crawled back along the rocks in and thinking about that kind of stuff where, if you know, it's Oregon, there's no lifeguard on the beach where if I would have been tried to save the board or done anything, I would have been gone. I would have been miles and miles and miles out to sea in Oregon, cold with no way back in. That's such a scary thought. Yeah. But at the time I was just like, ah you know, young.
4: Too dumb. Yeah, too dumb and young to know. Um, Listening to him work through that process of like, all right, well, I'm going to, I have only enough energy to either swim or flail my arms. And if I use it for flailing my arms, they'll see me at which point I can rest and just wait for the rescue. Thinking through that, that rationale is, Thinking through giving up, essentially, which is so scary.
2: Well, and his, his like, something compelling about his retelling was the amount of detail, I think, like where you could feel yourself drowning in his story. Like you could feel the way it would feel to actually drown. Yeah.
4: So you're right. There's a moment, there was a moment of hubris where he decided, I'm going to show them how it's done. And that's on him. But otherwise, I am blaming the uh the vowels in this scenario, the beachgoers who did not heed the proper warnings. Um and you wrote a story, I think this week about, uh, I'll actually just read the headline because I saved it for our other segment. Um <laughs> Tourists and looky-loo stun officials by generally obeying lifeguard orders as apocalyptically monstrous waves pound Oahu's North Shore.
2: Yes, but did you also see the kook of the day post of those two guys, two full-on kooks on yeah. weird yellowed boards trying to paddle out a pipeline? And the lifeguard yeah. telling them, absolutely not. Where without his intervention, they would have paddled out a pipeline and been annihilated and would have caused a lifeguard or another surfer to put their lives in jeopardy in order to save them like totally through sheer cluelessness
4: there is 100 percent certainty that that would have exactly happened
2: yeah i mean the, um, and or they would have gotten pounded so bad on the paddle out that they just would have washed in and broken their boards without danger but if they would have gotten lucky and caught the sort of paddle rip out that the pros do like where you start in and head down to aokai and then kind of suck out and gotten out in the lineup and then in one and gotten pounded it would have been game over
4: yeah they there's no chance they would have navigated anything successfully and even if they got pounded and washed in they would have gotten drowned along the pounding and the wash in um so what i liked about that clip was how stern that lifeguard was. Yeah. He, he was kind of shaming them appropriately, not so much that like they felt the need to like fight back or something like that. It was just really letting them know you guys are way out of line here and you're going to put me at risk for having to go out there and save you. And I was glad to see that they actually listened because I feel like so much of today's youth would just be like, F you, what are you? you you know, you, who are you to tell me what to do when they're literally meant to tell you what to do to save your own life, you know?
2: I mean, I think also it is a like surf localism, as much as it gets denigrated for being mean and rude and non-inclusive and whatever it is, surf localism really does like has such an important part of, I think, surf culture where, yeah, don't earn your way in somewhere. Earn your way into a lineup, right? Like, and if you don't belong, and you're putting people in danger or putting yourself in danger, get smacked down.
4: Yeah. Well, surf localism, I, I would say, is actually um, serves a healthy purpose. Probably ninety five percent of the time, of course. It's the five percent that are a holes who then kind of the every other stroke gets painted with that brush but i think only 5% are the ones who are actually doing harm
2: but even the 5% i feel like at any given localized beach like if somebody's out of line being way too rude they're not respected by others right i think there's very right. few like right. complete like they're just looked at on as sociopaths and whatever and everybody just ignores them and you know you can ignore them too like put up with the screaming or the whatever but i think true surf localism is such an important part of the fabric of surf culture
4: it um it serves a purpose that like society every society from the beginning of time has had an enforcer element that shows the ropes shows the rites of passage um make sure to squelch a young buck that has too much bravado and check him and put him into place, you know, for his own good. And so I think that's what we love about surfing is that those things still exist
2: in it. I mean, completely. And I truly hope that they don't get weeded out with a like Val lawsuit implosion. Speaking of funny enough, guess who Derek and I podcasted with just last two nights ago. A Val explosion,
4: Jonah Hill.
2: Nope. Who? Bro, who lost his foil board at Fort Point.
4: Oh, did you really? John Van reese or John Van
2: Reese, we sure did.
4: Um, I thought about reaching out to him and I thought the better of it. How did it how did the conversation go?
2: Funny. It was a hilarious conversation. The in true dirty water fashion. The audio was probably pretty mangled, but uh oh, I no. think at the e- at the end he thought the podcast was going to be with you and me and so was really confused at the end just like oh wait oh uh i thought this was the grit uh and so yeah (laughs) funny but uh, amazing amazing but but also some unique insight into i don't know he's a nice guy you know like well intentioned nice guy like that's the thing who out there in the surf is actually fully sociopathic and wildly selfish. or who 1%. Who, yeah. But the truth is, we all have varying degrees of acting that way. And yeah. he was pretty, I will say, pretty uh, listening to him tell the story. It's like, hey, man, I was going to go get mine, right? Like, there's nothing against them. No problem with that. Like, these waves are here for all of us. I was going to go get mine which I was just thinking, no, the, the, I'm going to go get mine mentality is wrong. I think like, I don't know how, but like, I get that we're all out there trying to get our waves. Right. But there was something about the way he talked about it or spoke about it where yes, he's a nice guy. He was also totally, totally wrong in this idea that I am owed something, right? Like That this is mine to go get, I suppose. Like, for the ocean, for waves, when I paddle out, I don't feel owed anything. Uh, But that's why I'm not a professional surfer either. Like, I suppose the going to get yours is the, that's how this whole thing works. But I don't think it should work that way. I think you should go out and get what comes to you, not what you think is rightfully owed you.
4: Yeah, there's, if you go out with a mentality that you're going to get what's owed you, you're not going to have a good time. Even if you do get great waves, you're just not, I feel like going to enjoy the experience as much. So, but that's a different, you know, that's a different discussion.
2: But it's a, uh, but it's a vowel, it's a vowel discussion though of where I feel valves. I mean, that dude's been foil boarding and whatever forever, but he still had a very val mentality of, hmm. hey, this ocean's for all of us. Why can you tell me what belongs to me? I'm going to go get mine, which is, I feel very Val-esque, right? Where, which isn't necessarily surf-esque.
4: Yeah. I mean, I relate to portions of it. Like I'm trying to put myself in the same mindset and I do feel like I'm owed something over certain other people at the beach, but not over another group of people at the beach who's been there the longest. Who have I seen surfing throughout the winter and the summertime? But I'm not going to go out there and flex on any of them. I'm going to go out there and try to out position them essentially. And yeah, let the current sweep them off the good peak and use kind of elements. The problem for him was that he used a boat and he oh, used oil. a foil. Yeah, exactly. So it, then it gets into a whole different realm where we're not even talking apples and
2: apples anymore. But that's the thing, too, realizing that everyone thinks he thought, hey, man, I'm not going to get in your way. Right. I'll pull out I'm, the foilers serve parts of the waves that surfers don't surf. I will pull out well before the surfers. And so trusting somebody else's good intentions uh, right. where he in his own heart was, you know, had good intentions. He was not going to. And how it went bad, according to him, is that he swerved to miss a surfer. And then had to go like in the pocket and then lost the board, you know, and then off we go. But, uh, trusting which is the somebody, problem
4: with doing it in the lineup where they're
2: surfers precisely you, and trusting, you have to avoid a surfer and trusting somebody else not to get selfish, uh, especially somebody with mechanical means not to get selfish, not to think oh, I'm going to squeeze as much of this out as I can. Uh, yeah. So back to our conversation about him, even when you said, well, people do after you had, done your research and figured out people do tow there you know all that kind of stuff he still seemed wildly misguided in his thinking about his process to me
4: good to know all right well i appreciate you giving us kind of an overview but i'm still going to listen
2: oh yeah it's i, I want to hear every detail i think it's a very very funny listen and once he realizes that he wasn't on the grit i think he thought that he had a uh maybe because of what you had said about him. I think he had thought he had a uh, friendly audience and then realized way late that maybe he didn't. And so then pivoted pretty hard to, I mean, you know, I, you know, I shouldn't have been doing it and whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> wow.
4: Okay. This is, yep. a, this sounds awesome. Yep. Um, well, the other near death was just, I'll just read. Yeah. I'll just read Derek's little intro to the article. The big wave surfer, the first woman to surf Mythical Outer Reef, Belhara, and two-time XXL Award winner Justine DuPont. She reveals how close she came to drowning during January 8th's mega swell at Portugal's Nazare. So from Instagram, uh, Justine's Instagram, she says, during the last swell, everything was going well. I'd just ridden several good waves, then Chumbo towed me into a huge one. I got down the face to the bottom, Once I wanted to start my bottom turn, the board got stuck. I took a huge wipeout, which brought me right in front of the cliff, the place where no one wants to be. Somebody else tried to pick me up, uh, but the timing was just too tight and he had to run off along the the cliff. I got atomized by several waves until I was pushed close to the Ross Clark Jones rocks all the way down the cliff. Lucas Chumbo managed to rescue, rescue me right before I ended up like a seashell on the rocks. Uh, as I car- As they carried me to the beach with the help of the lifeguards, I waved to reassure everyone that I was okay. I was very tired, but conscious and okay. I'm happy with all the training that allowed me to stay conscious until the end and endure such violence. In the evening, looking at the pictures, I am really grateful to see everybody who moved to get me out of there. So thank you for that
2: scary again scary and we all take it for granted we all think that oh people have been doing this now Nazare you know big slabby outer reefs we've taken for granted which you are exactly right prescient in thinking Ooh, are we being too not I don't know foolhardy because I don't I think they all know what they're doing and chumbo on the ski like these guys are experts, right? And so good on them for making it happen. But man, scary. Well,
4: the only reason she survived this was because of the training. So she's, they're not being cavalier. No. It's, it's the vowels. It's all the new people who are going to create the chaos. Um, there's no way a mere mortal would have survived this. If you've looked at the photos She's in the worst situation, you know, being right up against the rocks and the cliff, but the wave that breaks right in front of her is as big of a whitewash whitewash explosion that I've ever seen anywhere in the world. And she is in the impact zone. She's not 10 yards in, she's not 10 yards out. She is in the worst possible spot. And then the next photo is her going over the falls, probably on a different wave, I would assume. And it's like, she's going over the falls on a 50 foot wave in the lip, just a dead lifeless body. So she said, being able to endure such violence and remain conscious, that's all training. And it's like, it's unfathomable that the human body can even endure that, but it is strictly related to the training. Cause there's no
2: way she could have done it without. I mean, imagine being stuck in the lip, going over the falls there. What you're thinking.
4: It's insane.
2: Yeah, it's, it's insane. Totally it's insane.
4: totally like, how does your body not just get completely wrecked?
2: I mean, and Justine is like, she ain't no chump. I mean, she is no. a legendary big wave surfer. She knows exactly yeah. what she's doing and yeah. Good on her for like taking it and surviving and man, but it is, it does really make a pause.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think. it reminds me, I want nothing to do with big waves
2: ever. Sure. But it's going to um, be, yeah, I guess it is what it is.
4: Yeah. Um, totally bizarre, unrelated story, but I'll just ask you, did you hear about um, the accident that flea got into this last weekend?
2: in I Sanders? only briefly heard, but to have no detail, what described.
4: Super weird story. Um, and when I Googled it, the top news story that popped up was a link to Stab Magazine. So I that was posted, I think it said two days ago. I clicked over to it and the page was
2: disappeared. Mm. Stab it like, it gave me the- kill, kill a good story.
4: I know. So I was like, well, what did they can you show me how to recover that? Isn't there a way to recover
2: it? It's the Wayback Machine. Uh dot okay. com. So go to the Wayback okay. Machine and theoretically it might be there, but I think the Wayback Machine is perpetually taking snapshots of the entire internet. And so not everything is actually there.
4: Okay. I'm just curious how they reported it that made them want to disappear it. Or if they reported it accurately and Flea reached out and told them to ask them to delete it.
2: Yeah. I mean, Um, I'm sure Stab's got no spine in this kind of matter. And so, yeah, I would imagine that it was like, I'm sure they covered their bases legally. Uh, yeah. but I'm sure it was a request and, or a demand and stab loves to kowtow. Poor well, stab.
4: flea was just a bite flea was just a victim kind of bystander in this situation. So he wasn't, um, there's nothing for him to be embarrassed about, but anyways, he was driving, uh, North on the highway on highway one in Santa Cruz on Monday, a 40 year old woman was driving a Honda Accord when she collided with his truck one story i read she was going 100 miles an hour um which i can't believe another story said that he was specifically rear-ended at any rate the two vehicle collision happened at 9 a.m on the northbound lanes. After the collision, both vehicles pulled over the shoulder, the woman driving the Honda reportedly exited the vehicle, crossed the highway, walked towards the cliff overlooking the ocean, and either jumped or fell down the 300-foot cliff to her death. Later, the U.S. Life uh, Coast Guard deployed a helicopter and a water rescue team. They were able to find the body. the CHP classified it as a hit and run because she left the scene. But from everything that I've gathered, she runs into flee. They both pull over. No words are exchanged. She gets out of her car, walks across the highway, jumps off the cliff.
2: I mean, creepy and scary.
4: Crazy story, right?
2: Yeah. A wild story
4: insane and for from flea's point of view i feel traumatized for him like can you imagine witnessing something like that
2: no i mean getting whacked in your car and then watching the person who whacked you go end it yeah yeah very i mean maybe yeah very very off-putting that whole story crazy but it's nowhere right it's in no real news what do you mean the story oh
4: no it's in it's in like all the local news reported on it
2: yeah why did stab delete it then I have no idea. Yeah, stab. Maybe, maybe because
4: it. I mean, maybe because it's not surf specific. I mean, it's surf adjacent, and it involve because it involves a professional surfer.
2: Sure, but don't. And believe he's it.
4: traumatized by it, presumably. But.
2: But it's everywhere else. Leave it. And up. if you're going to oh, publish, stab.
4: yeah, if you're going to if you're going to publish it, then why delete it? I suppose.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's um, a stab. All right. It's like, hey. It's a frustrating part about stab. Um,
4: let's go to commercial break. We'll come back with true grit or clickbait stuff and barrel or not.
0: Let's do it. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs.
4: All right, Chaz, back from commercial.
2: How many people do you think listen to those commercials and then subscribe so they never have to listen again?
4: Well, we could play a little game. I usually put like three or four commercials in there. Um, The way that that works, I just set a little marker and a third party agency sells the ads and plays them and they're geo-targeted. So... What we hear in Southern California, Australians hear something different, or whatever. And uh, so I don't know what ads play. But instead of placing three or four markers, I could place like twelve.
2: And just blow people up. Subscribe. Make
4: this as if you necessary. subscribe. If you subscribe, we send you an ad-free version. So that's the benefit of subscribing. You can listen without twelve advertisements in the middle. How great is that? That's
2: worth it right there.
4: The other solution is that little 15 second fast forward button.
2: <laughs>
4: you can just tap that like 10 times and you'll, once you hear our voices, check back in. Uh, all right. So true grit or click bait. Crap. Uh, quote. Uh, uh, And by the way, premise of this is these are your own headlines from your website, beachgrit.com. I'm reading them back to you. Of course, you tell me, is it true grit? Is this a real story or is this clickbait? All right. Quote, Australian economists plead case for more robust understanding of the world's estimated $91 billion, billion with an M, surf market. Quote, this is a major knowledge gap we are trying now to fill. We are now trying to fill end quote
2: oh you caught me on clickbait <laughs> things this was a true story uh australian first of all what makes this maybe most clickbait stuff is that uh the 91 billion dollars is australian dollars which would be about 385 american dollars uh so that's a number one b it's just the standard kind of. I don't know how I even stumbled across it, but it's the standard kind of. Oh, you know, let's think of surf in Australia specifically, economically, and think. You know, if this is a wave, let's not build a thing here. You know, which I don't think ever happens in Australia anyway, right? Yeah. Does it? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah.
2: I don't think I it don't does. M- Mundaka is the one that's super interesting to me because I remember loving Mundaka as a kid, watching it, or as a kid as a 25 year old, uh, the church on the cliff and the way they would you know, wear the hats and then throw the victor off the cliff and all of it, like Mundaka, in my mind, was one of the premier events on the Association of Surfing Professionals tour. Uh, and then it disappeared and I was like, oh. And I know it was fickle, but they destroyed that wave. They dredged the river there. And destroyed the wave, and I think it's maybe back now. Is it?
4: I feel like it is. Yeah, but I think I don't, I've seen seen it breaking in recent years.
2: But it was Mundaka was a main class wave. It was and a mainstay on tour, and it didn't always work. I mean, it was a uh, like I think fickle. But the the events. I mean, I remember Bobby Martinez winning Epic Mundaka. Is that Epic Mundaka? I can't remember. I don't I remember.
3: remember. He uh, did
2: win. But the, the, just the backdrop and everything about it, it was really dynamic. And so, all to say, long windedly, uh, it is interesting, I suppose, to think of waves as resources. Um, but we all know that. And so, this was clickbait junk.
4: All right. It um, worked, though. The, the had idea, good hits. Well, the idea that the surf market is $91 billion, whether that's Australian dollars or not, is still insane to me.
2: I mean, any kind of number given to surf is like, where are you getting it from? I mean, I know no they do they do their research on resort fees, near waves, and, you know, obviously they probably have some line on kind of soft good and hard good costs, plus, you know, planes, plus food, plus, but that seems fairly inflated, that there's $91 billion being spent on surfing, but maybe
4: it seems so inflated and it's like uh, nobody shares their numbers anyways, unless it's a publicly traded company. Right. And even then those numbers are definitely inflated. So how do you, I would cut the number in half basically if I wanted a realistic feed on it. But I also just don't think the surf business is big period. You
2: know? No, but like, I mean, the real truth of the matter is if you could actually figure out the number of which, oddly, in America, I always thought the actual number number of real surfers uh, are people who click multiple times on Surfline, probably, right? Which so yeah, that's lines, one way to measure it. Or I would so say lines, I would say people that go surfing once a week. Sure, but I would reckon like you can't really measure that because you can't take a poll right, like any right, any right. Val would say, yeah, yeah. But somebody's really hawking Surfline daily. There's yeah. a real surf. So I think the actual amount of real surfers in the United States is like 1.5 million. That's what I'm sticking to that. Okay. All right. And then how many of those travel and then Australia and wherever else. But yeah, 91 billion, even Australian dollars seems they reach. Totally.
4: All right. Clickbait then. Um, Article number two of two. In Watershed Moment, shark attacks foil surfer in Florida, thus shattering aura of invincibility surrounding Mark Zuckerberg, his best friend, Kai Lani, Shaper to the Stars, John Piesel, and more.
2: Uh-oh, you got me two for two, but a <laughs> shark really did. This one, I think the only other foil attack, shark foil attack I found was the foiler had fallen off the board and was in the water and then it got nibbled. This one I think was unique. Uh, in that the shark went for the foiler as the foiler was up and riding and i suppose the problem here is that it was not a surfer it was a kite wing foiler whatever like so they weren't in the lineup they were who knows where but they were wing foiling but the shark did its business uh while the foiler was up and riding
4: um i see those sharks jumping out of the water in new smyrna beach and stuff
2: yeah so same thing Yeah, she said that, like, it grabbed the foil and then grabbed her leg in so doing. So I don't know exactly how that worked. That seems a bit dubious, like, that, yeah. But anyway, I just like sharks attacking foils.
4: So she survived
2: the attack? She did. I think it was in Florida, as you mentioned, and so Florida-style nibble. Got it. Um, Do you hope Kevin Miller ever gets attacked by a shark?
4: We We should ask.
2: I mean, I hope he does.
4: (laughs) It'd be a good story. I mean, knowing that you're going to survive a shark attack at New Smyrna Beach.
2: You're going to get 20. You're going to get 20 stitches and get to put on your wall. I am a shark attack survivor. Yeah. You get to buy the shirt. Yeah, That's one. You get to tell everyone. Oh, yeah. Shark attack survivor. It's great.
4: Chaz will write 20 stories about you.
2: Just think how many more tickets Kevin Miller would sell to the Florida Surf Film Festival. If he was a shark attack survivor,
4: did all the the rounds on television? See him on Good Morning America telling his story.
2: His stinking best friend John is a paramedic. He could That's save story his, right there too. The other founder of the Florida Surf Film Festival could save the other founder of the Florida Surf Film Festival's life. I mean, they I should e, now. They should
4: now. To- yeah, they should now make this happen. Like honestly. John, sit on the beach, wait for a sharky moment. Kevin, go out there, chum the, like, chum the water a little bit, rub some chum on his, la- on his uh, calf.
2: If they want the Florida Surf Film Festival to go to the next level, it's what they gotta do.
4: I agree, I agree, they'll Imagine sell so the, many tickets.
2: The beautiful art that co- could come out of it. Imagine the posters I agree. They did. I agree, yeah. I cannot wait, I'm, yep. our, I'm there. Hit it, boys. Um,
4: All right. Well, that's two clickbait stories from you this week. We should either award or punish you in future shows, create some sort of an incentive. Um, Good job. Before barrel or not, I'm going to read a quote from board porn to you, the board porn Instagram account.
2: Let's do it. Ron. I
4: saw this pop up last. Yeah, I saw this pop up last night and I was like, gosh, Ron put into words. One million feelings that I have had for decades now, decade and a, two decades and a half, and he just summed it up in one in one little meme. And the quote is: "One good ride on a crappy wave is better than one hundred crappy w- rides on a good wave."
2: One good ride on a crowded wave. Crappy is, wave. Crappy wave. Oh, is one better good than ride-
4: one hundred crappy rides. On a good wave.
2: One. So if you got a hundred
4: good waves and you blew all of them because you surfed poorly, or you get one crappy wave and you surf it well.
2: Yeah, but stinking Ron's also got the 360 roundabout in his back pocket. That's what he's talking about here. He's just doing 360 yeah. carves all day, every day. If I had a crappy curve, waves. if I had a 360 carve like him. I would go surf closeouts nonstop.
4: Uh, You got to start working on it then.
2: I know. Ron. It's not a
4: difficult maneuver.
2: Teach me, Ron. Yes. I think it's difficult in like throwing your balance around. That's the problem. Is I'll let momentum take me and not shift my balance and just be off the wave.
4: It's a pivot move. Yeah. It's actually an easy. You're just pivoting, like not even half of a turn. You're pivoting almost a quarter of a turn And then the rest takes place. You just got to not lose balance
2: on the spin. Have you done a banging 360?
4: Dude, this was not like, I don't want to claim Ron status, but this was my go-to move in my mid-20s that I figured out, like other of my friends weren't actually doing it, even though they might've been better surfers in every other way. But I figured that move out. And so I could finish a ride with it and look like I was better than them, even though I wasn't
2: man i gotta learn
4: yeah it's not bad it's not that's hard. Like new year's but yeah, new year's rezzo one one good ride on a crappy wave is better than 100 crappy wives rides on a good wave i stand I mean, by it true. i like it
2: but i mean it's i was true, like dude
4: if i surf if i get 100 good waves and i surf them poorly i am frustrated to no end and i hate myself and i hate life if i get a crappy wave and i rip the crap out of it feel fantastic
2: i mean that's totally true but oh man Imagine the haunted times in your life where you were popping up on a point reeling down the line. I remember Punta Canejo there in Selena Cruz, looking down the line, just seeing this perfect thing and like bobbling the takeoff and doing something lame on the first move, on the first turn, getting dumb, being dumb, watching it just reel off. And then it haunts you for days and days. Perfect. It really does.
4: And I, the spots that I do that at pretty regularly are Rincon and Malibu yeah.
2: because
4: I, I don't surf them often and, but inevitably I end up surfing them once a year or whatever. And there's so much pent up anticipation. And then you're out there fighting the crowd and that's in your head that by the time I actually get on the wave. I I inevitably blow it nine times out of 10. It takes me three or four waves to actually get a rhythm going. And then at those spots, you're dodging people as well. And it's like, I just, I'm feeling anxious just thinking about it now.
2: A jittery mess. It's
4: a nightmare. Getting off rhythm on a point break wave like that is just the worst. Not chill. Not chill. All right. Barrel or not. Calling your mom, mother. Mother. (laughs)
2: you hit this one like if i
4: if if i said to you right now yeah mother is going to be um taking care of babysitting babysitting duties for us moving forward
2: it is super no barrel and funny uh this last book blessed are the bank robbers i call my mom mother throughout and it was a major bone of contention when they read it my mom was like our dad actually was like you have never called us mother and father. Why in the world did you do it in this book? Angry. Rightly so. I called her mother throughout the book. I have no idea why I did it, but I did it. So I'm going You bare. sound like,
4: no, dude, you sound like a serial killer. I mean, yeah. If you, if you I, refer to your mom as mother, you sound like
2: a serial killer. For sure. If you say mother, uh, you sound like it. So I serial killer wrote a book. It's a real bummer mother i didn't say mother i said my mother that that tempers it a little bit but not much in in just a little bit in speaking definitely as yeah i really crushed it mother and father (laughs)
4: like one who birthed me would be even more weird but like If I mean, literally, my mom is going to be helping out with babysitting duties. And if I was saying to you, yeah, my mother is going to be helping out with babysitting duties, you would, it would catch you off guard a little bit. But then if I said, mother, anyways, mother, mother is going to be helping me with babysitting duties. If you said, if
2: you said, my mother is helping with babysitting duties, I would think that you had like a more formal relationship with your mom. Uh, If you said mother, then I would know you were uh, who was in psycho, uh, Norman Bates. I would think you were Norman Bates. Exactly. Mother's helping us. I, and I would think you had major mommy issues. Exactly. Yeah. No barrel. It's problematic. Yep. Oops. Oops for me. Well,
4: somebody somebody did reach out at, uh, and ask. I think they even offered it as a barrel or not using the indefinite article when referring to people that are like on your inner circle, because he was saying how you always refer to Cer- Cersei as my wife. wife. Yeah. Yeah. and and you do it with other things too but i figured rather than taking his verbatim i thought mother was a particularly creepy one
2: is crazy creepy yeah anybody any person out there listening any if your partner calls their mother mother run for the hills you will be murdered
4: pull pull this out nine one
2: one Immediately. Yep. That's all you need to do. And they, mom, my, at the same my, time, my partner has killed people. There's bodies in his exactly. backyard.
4: They'll be like, What evidence do you have? He refers to his mom as mother. They're like, We're on our way. <laughs> <laughs> Units are in <laughs> route. Um, all right. Barrel or not, bringing your dog into a store.
2: So, no barrel. Like this, I have a dog, love dogs, am a dog person. Leave your damn dog outside. Don't take your, take your dog into the restaurant. Don't take him into the store or her. Leave your dog tied in the leash. If your dog goes and yelps, give it a swift kick right in the midsection. Make it not not yelp anymore. But uh, unless you're in Italy, where everybody was taking their dogs everywhere there. And I thought, okay, when in Rome?
4: Okay. Do not kick the dog in the midsection. Chaz, Teach your dog you have to retract, you have to retract that statement I don't want to deal with that um with the fallout um so yeah I'm fine with Italy taking your dogs everywhere except into the store right do they bring them into the store
2: 100 percent that there was really? like yeah in at least Milan Florence and Cortina there was like a no dog is disallowed policy heavy wow okay. dogs everywhere so then it made me See, think, okay if that's, the, if that's the law of the land, then great, right? Like, if everyone's doing it, then I have no problem with it. Uh, but in America, like, I think it is the super finicky person and the super weirdly attached their dog person. Again, I'm a dog person. Dog, Thunderstruck, my chihuahua is part of the family, right? Thunderstruck sleeps in bed with us at night. Thunderstruck gets fed fresh eggs in the morning. Uh, but I don't presume thunderstruck's presence on other people which that's what i feel in america what you're doing you're saying this is my right and i'm going to force my familial dog thing on you where the familial dog familial dog thing belongs in the family not in the public
4: so i agree with what you're saying about italy if everybody's doing it then it's okay that's where it doesn't work in America. Is yeah. now everybody's doing it, and now it's not okay because so many of these dogs aren't qualified to be in public. When I was young, you'd see very few, but when you did, they were the best behaved dogs you've ever seen in your life. And they listen to a command, they don't even move when a stranger comes near them. Now I'm seeing dogs defecate on the sidewalk without people picking it up, dogs barking, two dogs getting in a beef because they're crossing each other in the store, you know, and they're going to scrap and the the, uh, owners can't control their own dog. They're yelping like the pandemonium and chaos that comes with the version of it that we have in America is completely unacceptable. I don't want to see dogs on airplanes. I don't want to see dogs in airports. If it's a service dog and it's trained, fine. I'm totally okay with that, but I'm totally not okay with the pandemonium that it's like all the the other people whose dogs aren't well behaved taking advantage of this policy that we now have where anything goes.
2: Yeah. Uh, what drives me more crazy is when people have like I ain't breed shaming here, but like you know a pit bull or something that's a breed of dog that is again love pit bulls, right? Like great dogs but uh let's play this on the husky the husky
4: is problematic for me
2: but with a wild a dog with a wild look in its eye right you can see a dog and know this dog and the way that dog like looks at kids or looks at whatever and this person is in the store and their dog is like for sure possibly going to attack someone but they're like blindly unaware just oh so i right. love my dog you're My dog's great and
4: like you're gonna take a wide berth to get around the dog
2: yeah that's not chill if you have a if you as a dog owner people should be aware and admit hey i got a dog who is a problem dog i love this dog but this dog i cannot leave around uh you know kids or i mean dogs do attack kids regularly and oh, that is not yeah, cool kids die
4: yeah. I see news stories of kids being mauled by dogs. It's horrible. Um, you know what to
2: do to the dog at that point?
4: Nope you you send it to the pound. <laughs> don't take any action yourself. Um, for anybody who thinks Chaz is kicking a dog, that was a callback. And, it was callback. Uh, so go deep in the archives. Um, I take my dog to get coffee with me in the morning. Do you leave the dog outside, in, or do
2: you do you bring her
4: in the car. She stays yeah. in the car. She loves the car ride because she hangs her head out the window and that's why I take her, but she stays in the car.
2: Yep. Tie that um, knob outside.
4: All right. Final. Barrel or gnaw. Having a fear of quicksand. So no, There is no <laughs> I such <grew> thing. Up, <laughs> when we were kids, quicksand were always was
2: getting stuck in one of- quicksand.
4: It was in every show that I watched, or not every show, but like inevitably in Batman, one of the bad guys got stuck in quicksand at a certain point. If you ever watched a Western, quicksand played a role. I grew up with an unrealistic fear of quicksand. Every time I went to the desert, I'd point like, hey, dad, is that quicksand? You'd be like, no. What about that sand over there? Is that quicksand? No. What's the deal?
2: I have no idea, but it's, have you ever read a news report of somebody actually dying in quicksand? I've read reports of animals, I feel like African animals, giraffes or whatnot, getting stuck in quicksand and maybe dying. But I've never once read, I don't think, a report of a human getting stuck in quicksand and dying.
4: Is quicksand even real? Is
2: that a thing? You know who's gonna go research this for us? Kevin Miller and John. Perfect. Kevin Miller is gonna go out into the wilderness and try to get himself stuck in some quicksand. And you know who's gonna be there to save him?
4: John Brooks. Jockey. This will be their this will be their follow-up story after the shark attack.
2: This is gonna be better than Anthony Bourdain's whole thing. John and Kevin seek death, where <laughs> Kevin is always the Kevin's always the bait, and John's always there to save him. It's gonna be a great show.
4: <laughs> Episode three, we send him to the Bermuda Triangle. Yep. <laughs> Um,
2: but only kevin can go in john has to be outside with the transponder and walkie-talkie
4: of course um so like honestly i don't know if quicksand actually exists as a real thing like because i thought unicorns existed when i was a kid as well and i've never seen any evidence of it ever i don't know where you would encounter it i think maybe there's a version that is like looser sand and maybe you kind of get stuck in it a little bit. But when I was a kid, I mean, it was a scene in the princess bride for sure. Like you're walking along, you disappear into it, vanquished, gone but to the center of the earth.
2: I can't wait for listener feedback on this one because very for certain, there is a geologist scientist listener who will call into the call in line and let us know the exact phenomena. Cause I know it is real. In my mind, it is a like, I can't wait to be corrected on this. It's like an underground cavern that happens to be covered by sand. And then somehow you like step in the sand and then like slowly get sucked into some displacement, not a cavern under there. But there's some displacement happening.
4: That makes sense. Uh, Yeah, that's exactly. We want to hear your quicksand stories. Call in. The listener line is 760 237-0150.
2: 237-0150. You can David find Lee, it on our website. David Lee and I are never wrong about anything, but call in and correct us.
4: Quicksand stories. <laughs> We're dying to hear them. Um, <laughs> I I have a listener line called I want to save it for next week so we can do a deep dive, but somebody needs real radical advice.
2: Oh, I can't wait to give advice.
4: Yeah. So listeners, uh, call in with quicksand stories, but anything that you want to know or need advice on, call us. 7602370150. You can find it on surfsplendorpodcast.com as well.
2: Let us know what you do to your dog when your dog starts acting up.
4: <laughs> um so enjoy your hotel how long are you staying in a hotel to do your recording?
2: Uh it was all day yesterday, last night, all day today, tonight and I think I'll be done. I think I got 40 pages left which I'll be done before lunch tomorrow. Okay, Oof. Good. Oof. Toughen it out. It'll be great. It'll be a great thing to buy on March 15th for your loved ones.
4: Cannot wait. Until then, how about beachgrit.com, surf splendor podcast.com?
2: Anything else? I think that's it.
4: All right. Uh, Chaz Smith, co owner of the Green Bay Packers and at surf journalist on Instagram. This is David Scales, your humble co-host saying until next week,
2: get barrel.